64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. Today we look at invisible companions, encounters with imaginary friends, gods, ancestors, and angels, spiritual phenomena, by J. Bradley Wigger. In this video we ask, if not compensation, for a lack of visible friends, if not someone to blame. Why do children have invisible friends? For that matter, why do they pretend anything at all? A stuffed animal becomes a pet, plastic becomes ninja turtles, or sand turns into a castle on Mars where superheroes live. What is going on in the psyche of a child? that dreams up faithful friends nobody sees, and then transfigures the visible world into fantasy. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Under attack, children, like adults, are tempted to point elsewhere, give them poo and hobs and variable imagination <coughs> that can animate otherwise inanimate objects into subjects. Researchers have to determine what constitutes an imaginary friend, at least for the purpose of their studies. And most studies indeed count a toy or a stuffed animal if the child seems to endow it with human-like properties, but do not count it when the child simply carries the object around. But this only backs the question up a little further. How does a researcher or a parent get inside the invisible mind of a child to determine whether or to what extent the child is endowing stuffed animals with human-like or Hobbes-like properties? Piget characterized the developmental period from two to seven years as pre operational, by which he meant pre-logical, a period of magical thinking. Later, they transition into concrete 
operations. They can work logically in some ways, as long as there are concrete objects involved. Ten marbles, take away three marbles, leaves seven marbles. Now, with puberty comes formal operations. Children can engage in abstract thought, which opens the door to a form of logic. Socrates is human. All humans are mortal. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. Now, in the case of time, the most fundamental issue, as Piaget describes it, is the ability to understand sequences, or how one thing happens before another, <coughs> form of logic. Development is a process of moving from the foggy, magical thinking of id-driven fantasy to the light of scientific, logical, real-world-oriented thought, from the ludicrous to the truth. Imaginative play in this tradition is a way of compensating for unfilled wishes and desires. If a child is not allowed to have a telephone, she compensates for the frustrated desire by turning a wooden block into one. Pretend phone or block, it's all the same to the young mind. The force of Freud and Piaget is strong. Of course, life presents frustrations and unmet desires. Of course, we get thrown off center and have to reorient our expectations. And thinking. To equilibrate, of course, children can be egocentric. But is that the whole story? In another situation, stretching the boundaries of life and death, a child had an invisible friend who died. The very first interview conducted for the study was with Nicole, who was only two years and 11 months old, one of the youngest children interviewed. Horrible things happen both in the name of religion and in the name of rationality. So now I wonder whether we can be more generous to the world of imagination, adding myths, animism, fantasy, friends nobody else can see. What if the ability to see the invisibles, unawareness of more, as William James once put it, is tied to something profound and enduring? What if it speaks to creative posture in life that sees the world in deeper dimensions. That is what Robert Coles eventually found in the children he interviewed. Young human beings, profane as can be one minute, but the next, spiritual. Children confined to iron lungs, children facing racist mobs during desegregation, children trying to make sense of tragedy, all drawing upon their religious traditions, stories, and practices of sustenance. Yes, but for more, Cole found them wise. 1934, Margaret Swenson published an article about her own research with children who had invisible characters. Most revealing is the way in which she begins the article. She quotes from 
16 different sources representing various sociological and psychological theories about the phenomenon. They range from the idea that children are compensating for some failure or some splitting off some undesirable aspect of themselves to the idea that imaginary friends represent a sign of creativity or intelligence. In her own study of 40 children, Swenston found a great variety of characteristics among the children from promising leadership skills and superior intelligence to personality difficulties, as she puts it, with timidity heading the list. She concludes the article without resolving the tension between the various theories, raising instead more questions to be explored, but she set the standard for doing so. Talk to kids. The idea that development is a process of growing out of magical thinking and into the hard-boiled realism of logical thoughts cheats the vital relationship between fantasy and reality, between pretend world seen in the mind and the sense-based world seen with the eyes. What if the two are friendly? What if logic and imagination are invisible friends? One of the stumbling blocks to imagining clearly early childhood as a wash in wish-fulfilling fantasy is the children show no signs of pretend play until well into their second or third year. If anything, realism is first, and imagination is the more sophisticated developmental accomplishment. One opening possibilities, even logical ones. <coughs> in the powers of the human mind. The imagination is not a regressive mode of thought, not inherently inferior or ludicrous. From an evolutionary point of view, imagination may be one of the most significant and unique aspects of our species, our imagination brings flexibility and creativity, and have allowed our species to travel, to adapt to new environments, some of which are very harsh, endure and thrive. We compose and try out alternatives to that which is, whether in our individual lives or in the world around us, the imagination. Is not simply an annoyance to be tolerated in young children, but is the key to humanity, allowing us to imagine possibilities and improvise our lives. Children bring what Harris calls casual maps with them into the pretend world and work with them. Instead of muddling about in a fog of primary process, like logic with the ability to reason accurately in the real world, nearly from birth, children possess a sense-based grasp of their environment, 
and rapidly demonstrate realistic expectations for objects in, in the world, all before they can speak a word. Such realism does not go away when children learn to pretend. Instead, it is played with. Children discover they can toy with the soft material of representations and expectations we hold about things, like popsicle sticks and combs and spoons, even as everyday logic enters into the play. Pretending takes realism and squares it. Things are what they are, but also something else. The children and the child knows at the level of the sense-based world of seeing and touching that a stick is a stick, but at another level, in the imagination, the stick can be a rocket ship or car or a barking pig. This double knowledge of imagination and logic is at the heart of pretend play. Logic and imagination are the soulmates of the mind, the invisible friends of knowing. <coughs> Somewhere between 9 and 12 months, most children begin to engage in what is called joint attention. They point to a bird or hold up a pacifier to get others to share the view with them. Look! The revolution is a remarkable development achievement, developmental achievement, and represents uh, an evolutionary milestone as well. A theme was emerging. Sharing. Sharing view is key to understanding mental things. That trail led to joint attention to a mind that easily cooperates, that intentionally informs shares knowledge, accumulates information, and builds upon it. Mental space, <clears throat> the territory where ideas, purposes, hopes, goals, information, desires, and more dwell and animate our likes, invisible, yet no less real, for its intangibility. It rests somewhere beneath our actions and movements, between them, behind the behavior of our bodies, and the products of our hands. But where is that, exactly? Behind the eyes, in our brains? Too literal, too hard to share. <coughs> Creating a joint purpose is, a, is at the heart of cooperation, a shared view in mental space that lives not only in my mind or yours, but fashions a site where both camp. Children are born into this invisible world as surely as they are delivered into a world of textures and sounds. As they coordinate their bodies to learn to walk in physical space, they also coordinate their minds in the land of invisibles. The lush forest of mental space is densely populated with characters, some based on people we know, some invented by storytellers whose books and films establish them in our hearts. Even when we know a story is fiction, we get attached perhaps invisible friends, 
and imagined characters are tilling the soil of our hearts, prepping the soul for love and loss. In a way, they allow us to run simulations of shared life, of relationships. As cognitive psychologists point out, people are relentless simulators, model makers, toy trains and dolls, model cars and little campsites, and we make invisible mental models as well, maps that distill the stuff of the world so that we can work with it. Stories do the same. They take the key feature of places and people to create simulations, settings and characters in mental space. They distill and compress and focus our attention on what matters. The closest analogy I can generate for an adult mind is dreaming. In a dream, I may see my brother Steve as a child, playing in the room we shared growing up. Next, we're walking down the street and Steve is suddenly a man. Then, he doesn't even look like Steve anymore, but like the waiter at the restaurant where I ate the night before. Yet, somehow, it's still Steve in my dream. There is some essential Steveness about him throughout these transformations. A less dramatic version happens in the everyday waking mind as well. If Steve goes to a high school reunion and some old friend sees him for the first time in 30 years, they will see on the outside a Steve who looks quite different from the 17-year-old Steve they once knew, but he's still Steve. The Steveness of my brother has more to do with an invisible something, a core, a self that endures through time and external variations. The form may change, but the Steve abides, <coughs> without a sense that others have an essence. We could not even have the idea of a shapeshifter in the first place. It's likely related to our model-making minds that generate distilled simulations of the world around us. Visibility is not the essence of essence. And perhaps we can better see how children so effortlessly form relationships with invisible beings, whether imaginary companions, grandfathers who have died, or even an invisible God. Our bodies relax in sleep. Our minds ease from the bright, hard-edged day world. New rooms appear in the mansion of our minds, spaces we didn't know existed. and. Anything can happen in play, too. Over and over, we have asked children, what do you do with your friends nobody else can see? Play. Though some children named other activities, breathing together, doing homework, spelling, walking home, the overwhelming majority of them said, play, we play. In pretend play, like dreams, the hard edge of realism is also relaxed. The protean point is that 
play enhances the ability to be unpredictable and respond to surprising challenges. If the wildness of our dreams loosens our grip on conventional ways, likewise play from the wild world of imaginary friends to tossing a ball around may loosen us from rigid ways of thinking and behaving and prepare us for the unexpected. Perhaps this is why sports and playground games offer such vivid examples of protean behavior. A game of tag with zigzagging children. A fake pass of the basketball one way followed by a throw the other. Or a surprise strategy by a soccer team, a play nobody else has seen before. One aspect of the interviews, though, was very consistent with the Louisville study. When children described what they liked to do with the invisible friend, most pointed to the world of play. Other answers involved the ordinary activities of their lives or of the adult world, eating together, learning and writing, walking, fishing, cooking, and one three-year-old responded that he and his friend take care of the cattle together. Nearly all the invisible friends were human, but one child had an elephant as hers. Another child, a six-year-old girl, made a great point about her invisible friend Emma. She said nobody could see her friend except for God. God could see Emma. Because I found evidence for imaginary friends in all the places I looked, I'm inclined to believe the potential for them transcends any particular culture. Something deep in the souls of young people is ready to befriend an invisible community of ducks, teapots, and see-through humans. Imaginary friends do not appear to be limited to places that emphasize play and recreation or have the toys and props to help. At the same time, culture matters. Whether the culture of a country, community, or a household cultures may well support or discourage children's see-through companions. While not every child has imaginary or invisible friends, I believe the phenomena points to something fundamental about human knowing its originality in the creaturely world, our original knowing. Children are relentless questionnaires while scrutinizing every inch of the world around them can drive parents a bit batty. The questions themselves would not have arised without an imagination that appreciates that there's always a larger picture, a cause beneath an effect, a background that grants meaning to the foreground, there is always more. And there you have it. Invisible companions, encounters with imaginary friends, gods, ancestors, and angels. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. 
do leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date and the link to this book is in the description below. So you buy it and you read and you never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.